0: Hello and welcome to High Heels and Heartache, a podcast where I interview experts on the topics that you're curious about and bring you the stories of extraordinary people who are changing the world. On this episode, I interview psychotherapist Beverly Angle, who has written 21 self-help books, including four bestsellers about emotional abuse, on how to overcome the shame of emotional abuse. So coming right up, Beverly Angle. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, today on the show, I have Beverly Engel. Hey, Beverly, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. So, Beverly, you've been a practicing psychotherapist for 35 years and you are the author of 22 books. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm co authoring my first book and it's, <laughs> I, it's really difficult. I have no idea. How did you write 22 of them?
1: Well, writing just kind of comes naturally. Writing this kind of book just comes naturally for me. It's really not difficult.
0: Oh, well, I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes to um, all of your books so that everybody listening can, can grab one of those. Okay, great. So the reason I'm, I have you on the show today is because you wrote a series of really interesting articles um, about shame that's experienced by the survivors of emotional abuse. So let's dive into what exactly is emotional abuse?
1: Well, it's really any non-physical behavior uh, that's intended to control or intimidate or demean or humiliate another person. Uh, It's non-physical with the exception that there's something called symbolic violence. And that's when somebody like makes a fist at you, you know, breaks something, puts their fist through a wall or something. That's emotional abuse too. But most emotional abuse is not physical. It's done uh, verbally. It can be done by just uh, looks, rolling your eyes, making faces. it, it doesn't have to be even, even uh, 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 verbal. It can be, you know, an attitude toward the person.
0: Beverly, it is so interesting that you include emotion as part of emotional abuse and um, people doing things like, you know, punching a wall or something like that, because when that happens, that's frightening. And it does Absolutely. make you scared.
1: Absolutely. And that's often what an emotional abuser is trying to do. Again, they're trying to intimidate you. Um, And yes, they may lose their temper, so-called, and, um, you know, lash out, but they're also trying to control you. They're also trying to scare you.
0: That's so interesting. So those of us who have experienced emotional abuse, we have to deal with shame associated with it. And, And you wrote that shame can be the most damaging aspect of emotional abuse. So when you talk about shame, what do you mean by shame?
1: Well, shame is really difficult to describe it. um, If you think about somebody's posture, somebody who's deeply shamed, they're kind of slumped over, Um, they're looking down often, they have a difficult time looking you in the face, looking you in the eyes. Uh, they give you an attitude of um, kind of feeling like a failure or that they're less than someone else. else. So shame is an emotion that kind of takes over your body, your mind, and your spirit. It's not just a feeling. It's kind of a state of mind. Mm -hmm. It's how you see yourself in the world. It's a feeling of being exposed like ex- being exposed for being wrong. Mm-hmm.
0: Like you're like less than.
1: Yes. You're less than. Uh, if you feel enough shame, you feel unworthy. You feel even unlovable.
0: Oh, that's, that's very hard to manage that. Yes. Part of shame.
1: And yes.
0: How, how do abusers use this shame to emotionally abuse their partner?
1: Well, uh, most often they do it by verbally telling their partner that they are a disappointment, that they're a terrible mother, they're a terrible wife, they never do anything right, they're lazy, they're stupid. Um, you know, they wish they'd never married them. Um, you know, they're completely unhappy, and it's their partner's fault. So there's constant criticism, constant, f- constant fault-finding. Uh, You can never please an emotional abuser, typically. Uh, There's always something you could have done better. Uh, So it usually takes the form of of verbal abuse, but it can take the form of many, many different types of emotional abuse.
0: Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting because in your article, you list um, the effects of toxic shame. Um, on victims of emotional abuse. So I thought that we could kind of go, go through those and, and you can talk about how, how, how those affect people, even when they're out of an emotionally abusive relationship. So you said one of the, um, one of the effects of toxic shame is like we've talked about feelings of self-hatred or self Yes, yes. Wow, so not just are you worthless, but you don't even like yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you time after time, you do your very best to please your partner, you do everything that you possibly can do, and you're still not pleasing your partner. Um, Most people who are being abused take in that criticism as if it were true. Uh, And it obviously often is not true, but they take it in. And if you take in that kind of message that you're a failure, that you're a terrible parent, that you're a terrible partner, you know, you soon start to hate yourself. Mm-hmm. You're disgusted with yourself. If you're, if your partner's constantly criticizing your body, you start to hate your body. Um, you start to feel like you don't deserve anything good, like love and affection or happiness. Um, and so, yeah, it can lead to, and that self-hatred can lead to the next thing, which is self-destructiveness. Mm-hmm often when a person's been deeply shamed, they feel self-destructive. They they get involved sometimes with self-harm where they're actually cutting or burning or stabbing themselves. Uh, Some have suicidal attempts. Um, Some are self-destructive in other ways like reckless driving uh, or driving while intoxicated, um, associating with dangerous people. Uh, There's a real element of self-destructiveness that comes in with being shamed.
0: Another one that I thought was so interesting um, is that this shame causes some people to self-neglect. So can you tell me a little bit, like, what is self-neglecting?
1: Well, basically, it's like not providing for yourself what you need. That could include adequate food. Maybe you starve yourself or deprive yourself of proper nutrition. Uh, You could deprive yourself of water or even clothing, like not buying yourself a jacket and going out in the cold, uh, depriving yourself of rest and sleep. But generally speaking, it's just not taking care of yourself. And again, you're being emotionally abused and told that you're a disappointment to your partner you may focus all your energy on meeting the needs of your partner and not even consider your own needs some victims of emotional abuse uh, don't even satisfy their dental and medical needs they don't go to the doctor they don't go to the dentist they're just totally focused on pleasing their partner
0: Mm -hmm. because the consequence of not pleasing an emotionally abusive partner is then that that partner somehow sometimes acts out or you're yes. you're bringing all of the responsibility of your partner's behavior upon yourself yes absolutely and, and um this one this effect of toxic shame I thought was so interesting rage is yes of, um effects talk to me about that
1: Well, if you're constantly being criticized and you're constantly being told that your disappointment, your partner, you know, treats you in really terrible ways, you're going to get angry. In fact, you're going to become enraged. But unfortunately, most people who are being emotionally abused don't feel they have the right to express their anger. They're either afraid of their partner Or they're afraid that if they speak up, their partner's going to reject them completely. Uh, So where they're in the mindset of just, you know, putting their head down and continuing to try to please their partner versus being confrontive or standing up for themselves. Now, not all people who are being emotionally abused come from emotionally abusive relationships in the past. But many do, and so if you already were emotionally or physically or sexually abused as a child, and then you get into it, involved in an emotionally abusive relationship, you're not gonna have the courage and the strength to stand up to your partner, to confront your partner and say, you're, I don't like the way you're treating me. I don't like the way you're talking to me. I don't like you making fun of me in front of other people. Um, I don't like the fact that you're so jealous because I'm not doing anything. I'm not flirting with anybody. I'm not doing anything. So I hate it that you're constantly criticizing me for that. I hate it that you're stalking me, following me everywhere, going into my phone. I, I don't like any of that. Somebody who's already been abused isn't gonna have the ability to confront and state those things. Uh, and so all that anger and all that rage it gets held inside. Uh, It sometimes maybe comes out, unfortunately, at your children, Um, but basically, usually it just stays inside you Uh, and it can become toxic in itself. That that amount of rage and this bitterness becoming very bitter and becoming very hostile um, can really, you know, be destructive to a person. Um, You know, it can turn into road rage. It can turn into being abusive toward your children. And often rage that's held in is directed at the the self. So he's directing his rage at you. You're directing your rage that you feel toward him at yourself. And that can then turn into depression and self-hatred and self-harm
0: this is kind of, we're in, we get into like a shame spiral, right? Yes. Yes. Feel ashamed because somehow it is, we are taking responsibility for our partner's horrible behavior. So we're feeling shame about that. Right. We're feeling shame because we can't stand up for ourselves, but we're also having these other um, elements of toxic shame, like self neglect, rage, isolation, self-hatred. So. No wonder people don't leave because it's just, absolutely we're just caught in this swamp of. Eh.
1: Yes. Yeah. And one thing that shamed us, too, is it it eventually causes the person the the person who's being abused to feel depressed and to not feel motivated. So here they're being criticized for being lazy and yet they're depressed and they have a very hard time doing anything. Being being constructive, being active, um, and you know, when someone's depressed, they can hardly move. You know, they can hardly move around, much less make a great dinner, clean the house, be the perfect housewife. You know, or if they have a job, um, you know, it takes all their energy to go into their job every day, much less come home and try to please him. Uh, if they're depressed, they're not going to want to have sex with their partner. And then, of course, he's going to criticize them for that. So, you know, that depression that comes with being abused is a huge factor in somebody not having motivation. And that includes having motivation to leave. You know, if you can barely put one foot in front of the other, you're not going to have the energy and the motivation and the strength to find a place for you and your kids to live or to go out and try to find a job. Or to start all over again somehow.
0: Yeah, it's a tough mountain to climb. Yes. So, and and this kind of goes right into our next, uh, our next part of your article where you talk about really why survivors feel this shame. Um, and one that I connected to so much that that kind of isolated me from my family when I was in the abusive relationship is. I felt shameful that I had picked this man in the first place. Yes.
1: And that's why I stress that not everybody was abused growing up and that's not, you know, everybody doesn't pick an an abusive man because of their abuse history. Um, There are lots of healthy women who choose abusive men and it's not about them. Um, abusive, there's different categories of abusive men, but there's, you know, one common factor is that they can be very charismatic. They're often successful. Uh, They can be charming. They can do what's called love bombing, which is kind of, you know, taking the woman off her feet, carrying her off her feet. She you know, they're complimenting her, they're putting her on a pedestal. I've never met anybody like you. I never met anybody I felt so much love for, Um, you know, telling her that I want to get married right away. And the typical woman has probably gone through lots of relationships where men have not been willing to commit. Men have not professed their love so quickly. Uh, They're usually kind of chasing the man or being disappointed in the man. And here comes this guy and he doesn't have a problem committing at all. And he's professing his love and it feels really good, you know? Um, and that, so it's not the woman's fault if she gets carried, you know, what, what's the word I'm trying to find? Rushed, pushed off her feet, you know, uh, lifted off her feet. Um, whatever that expression is. Um, oh, swept off her feet. That's what I'm trying to think of. <laughs> um, and totally gets, you know, enamored with this charming guy.
0: And Beverly, um, what you're saying so speaks to what I went through when you're saying swept off your feet in the beginning of an abusive relationship. Like my abuser and I, when we first dated, we literally, when we would see each other would do like the, what you see on the bachelor when like uh-huh. Beverly, she like jumps into his arms and he spins her around. Like that's a lot of times the beginning of these emotionally abusive relationships like they don't start horribly they actually start just like you're talking about yes this guy is confessing everything you've ever wanted to hear
1: yes absolutely absolutely um and you know that's very hard to resist um now if you add to that and again it doesn't have to be the case but if you add to that say someone who hasn't been as successful as they would like to be Uh, Or somebody who is self-critical, somebody who has any kind of issues with their body, not feeling totally comfortable with their body. Um, Somebody, again, who's been rejected by past relationships. And here comes this guy who loves her just the way she is. And if he's successful, that's just an added element. Because if she's not feeling as successful as she would like to be, here's this guy who's super successful And she can kind of get swept up in his success. You know, she doesn't feel as confident as she'd like to feel, but he's super confident. And so she's with him when she's with him. She kind of feels that same confidence. She feels better about herself than she's ever felt. Um, Now, that's not always the case. There are some very successful, very beautiful, very, you know, economically secure women who can still get caught up in this love bombing.
0: Mm-hmm. It, another thing that you speak about is um, that some, some, like we said, not all, but, but some people have had in their past betrayal trauma. Yes. And that has damaged their trust mechanisms. So can you can yes you speak a little bit more about that?
1: Well, the worst kind of betrayal of course is if a parent abuses you, and certainly if you've been sexually abused by a parent or an authority figure or another kind of caretaker, that kind of abusive betrayal is just devastating to a child. Uh, And it physiologically and emotionally, like you said, affects their ability to um, kind of figure out who they can trust and who they can't. Um, They're not as capable of seeing the red flags, they're not as capable of noticing dangerous situations as somebody who hasn't had that betrayal trauma.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Another part, of shame that people feel. And this one, when I read this Beverly, I was like, oh my gosh, Beverly is speaking right to me. (laughs) You talk about how lots of women feel shame for not leaving. And part of that is because they've minimalized the the horrible behavior of their abuser.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm generalizing here, but this is kind of true most of the time. Women in general have difficulty really seeing their partner clearly if they're in love. Okay, Um, they tend to minimize his abusive behavior. They tend to try to talk themselves out of what they what they should see is the truth. Um, Women, you know, um, we talk about the differences between women and men women are who kind of set up physiologically to find compromise okay we're kind of hardwired to find compromise and connection um we're not you know we're not going out you know our forebears you know the typical man goes out and you know gets the gets the food and the woman stays home and takes care of the children and nurtures and that kind of you know makes it difficult for women. We are naturally connectors, naturally compromising. You know, we want, to, we want to think that things are okay. And so it really does cause us to minimize and deny what can be right in front of our face. We want to see the best in our partner.
0: Mm-hmm. You should fall in love with the person and not their potential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One final okay. way that you say um, many survivors feel shame is the shame for not standing up for them. Yeah, that's what I was saying about that
1: fear of confrontation, mm
0: -hmm.
1: fear of of speaking up. And again, if there's any history at all of being physically abused, um, they're going to have even more fear of speaking up.
0: Yeah. But luckily, you give us hope. You know that there are ways that we can um, get rid of this shame, reduce this shame. You actually have like a very clear kind of plan that you call the shame reduction program. So the first step is emotionally deprogramming. And I just want to read this paragraph that you wrote because I think it's, it is dead on. So you wrote, most victims come to believe that the problems in their relationship are because of them. They are accused of being stupid, lazy, or selfish, of not giving their partner enough sex, no longer being sexually attractive, and numerous other reasons why they are a bad partner or parent. For most victims, it's difficult to avoid believing these multiple complaints, while, while in reality, the problem usually lies in the unreasonable expectations of their partner or in the distorted way their partner views themselves others and the world. So how do you emotionally deprogram when that's been the type of relationship that you've been in? Well, you do have
1: to come to the realization, number one, that your partner does have unreasonable expectations, and that he does have a distorted way of viewing the world. Um, And one thing that that you can do to really begin that process is, and this may sound radical, but to stop believing your partner. Stop believing, just carte blanche, everything that comes out of his mouth. We um, you know most abuse victims have given over their power to their partner and they they reward him, uh, you know, with, you know, obeyance, You know, they just believe everything he says He often comes across as a teacher. He's, you know, he's the expert in everything. He's always teaching them and, you know, doing, saying things for their own good. And, you know, it starts with no longer believing your partner is always right. You know, no longer believing that his attitude toward you is the correct attitude. No longer believing that he alone sees you accurately that, you know, abusive people will will convince you that, well, you just really fooled all your friends and your family. You know, you come across so sweet and so nice in front of everybody, but I know the real you. I've seen the real you. No, he doesn't know the real you. You know, you're the only one who knows the real you. So you've got to stop giving him all that power to decide who you are and how you feel, and what you should do. He is not the expert of you. Again, you are the expert of you. Um, So stop believing everything your partner says is like step one.
0: (laughs) So step one is in our emotional deprogramming, we have to remember we are our own North Star. Our abuser is not our North Star.
1: Right, right.
0: Yes, absolutely. So the next thing that we, we've already talked about, how, you know, shame creates all of this anger. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that you can get relief from that anger that's been brought about sometimes because of shame?
1: Yeah. One, I say easy, but it's never easy. But one kind of simple way to start is just starting to say the word no. Just start. Just practice saying the word no as you're walking around your house. Start <laughs> saying the word no as you drive your car to the grocery store. Okay. Start saying it out loud. No, no, no. Say it with different inflections, different volumes. Just get used to saying the word no. Most victims don't know how to say no. Literally don't know how to say no. So get comfortable with no. Okay, then you can ramp it up and roll up a magazine and walk around your house and yell no and swatch your couch, <laughs> swatch your table clock, table, your coffee table, you know, just no, just practice saying it. The next step is imagine that you're facing your partner and you're saying no. He's asking you to do something and you say no. Imagine scenarios. He's telling you that you're lazy and you say no. You can can add no, it's not true if you want, but you don't have to. If you just get it in your mind that you're going to say no. He's asking you to get involved with sexual kind of activities that you're not really comfortable with. And so you say no. So you practice saying no to different scenarios, imagining that you're actually talking to him. And this can take some time. But you'll notice a difference inside. You'll notice that you feel stronger, that you know, no doesn't come, isn't such a difficult word to say, and that you feel more empowered. And you may eventually get to the place where you actually can say no to him. You know, you can say, you know, no, I don't feel like it. No, that's not true. No, I don't believe you. You know, and you could be no, I don't want you to talk to me that way. Mm -hmm. So that's just a beginning. You can find lots and lots of ways to release your anger, your old anger, um, you know, in my books and um, other places where, you know, you can do everything from putting your head in a pillow and screaming or going in the shower and screaming or taking a drive and roll your windows up and scream. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some really healthy ways of releasing old anger. But just start by learning how to say the word no.
0: All right, Beverly, I'm, you're probably going to get me institutionalized because now when I walk my dog around the neighborhood, right. I'm practicing saying, no, Right, <laughs> Just walk along. Yeah,
1: you do have to be cognizant of your surroundings, okay?
0: So once, once we're starting to, you know, like harness that anger and, and work it through our bodies, the next point that you make is that we have to have self-compassion. So yes. how does self-compassion help us on our journey to get rid of our shame? Well, self-compassion is
1: actually the opposite of shame. It's actually the antidote to shame. Um, but most people, most women, most female victims, and by the way, there are male victims of emotional abuse. Most victims of emotional abuse don't seem to have much self-compassion. They have a lot of compassion for other people. Mm -hmm. They can very easily put themselves in the place of the other person, and they even can put themselves in the place of their partner, and it can be problematic. If you know your partner was abused as a child, if you know your partner's having a really rough time with his boss at work, you can feel very compassionate for him, and you can excuse a lot of his behavior based on that, based on feeling badly for what he's endured. But I doubt that you feel badly for what you've endured, either as a child or what you're enduring today. So it's Mm -hmm. taking that capacity for compassion for others and giving it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, The woman who first did a lot of research on self-compassion, her name is Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. And she uh, asked that people think of the, the kindest person they've ever met a really kind person. You may not have a lot of people from your past if you were really deeply abused, but there's probably one person who was kind to you. Maybe your grandmother, maybe the lady next door, maybe a teacher. And think about how she treated you, how she looked at you, how she spoke to you. And that's a key to how you need to begin to treat yourself.
0: Oh, that's a tough lesson, Beverly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, always, I read this meme once that was like, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, now- Kristen Neff also talked about, we all have a very critical inner voice. Mm-hmm. And um, what Kristen Neff talked about was creating an internal nurturing voice. And like you said, it's not easy but oh, right. like listening for the inner critic and then seeing if you can talk to yourself in a more nurturing way.
0: Once we are on this path and we're working on our self-compassion, uh, the next step that you discuss in my personal journey has been very difficult for me, the self-forgiveness portion. Yes.
1: yes. So
0: how, how do we learn to be more forgiving of ourselves?
1: Well, the key words with self-forgiveness are it's understandable. Mm -hmm. Those are really powerful words. And when you can apply them to the acts that you've done or the things that you've left undone, um, how you've neglected your children, for example, uh, most abused people, kind of walk around in a daze, they're constantly being stressed out, they're constantly being attacked. Um, And many suffer from PTSD, uh, in which they dissociate from their body. So many, many abuse victims walk around kind of in a daze, disconnected from themselves, and disconnected from reality, disconnected from the present. And so if you're, if you're suffering from PTSD and you're kind of wandering around out of touch, you, maybe you didn't notice that your teenage son had started taking drugs. Maybe you're not paying attention to the fact that one of your children is becoming a bully. Maybe you're not noticing that one of your children is like off in the corner, you know, seeming really sad all the time. Uh, and once you come out of that, PTSD, you know, state, and you start seeing your children, you may feel horrible. Why didn't I see that? Why wasn't I there for her? Why wasn't I there for him? And then you need to apply those magical words. It's understandable. It's understandable that I was so stressed out myself. I was being abused and I had PTSD and I couldn't be there for them. I feel badly that I wasn't but it wasn't I didn't do it deliberately and I I understand why I I wasn't able to be there for them so it's understandable
0: That's a great way to frame it that that makes it e- easier to kind of latch onto than just sort of this <laughs> abstract idea of forgiveness and how do, how you forgive yourself telling yourself it's understandable that's a that's a good way to be kind of what we're going to talk about next kind to yourself right so why is self-kindness so important in this journey
1: well again it is a part of self-compassion um and you probably have been very able to be kind to other people but very seldom able to be kind to yourself. And this involves that self-critical voice and creating a nurturing inner voice, which is a, which is a process and takes time. Um, it involves, you know, learning to pay attention to yourself, to pay attention to your body. Remember, your focus has probably been almost entirely on your abusive partner either avoiding his wrath or trying still trying to please him. Mm -hmm. And your attention probably has been toward your children, but probably very little attention has ever been toward yourself. Mm -hmm. You probably have neglected yourself. You probably, you may have been self-destructive, but kindness toward yourself may be an alien idea. And so it starts with maybe paying attention to that self-criticism that you might have constantly, that self-critical voice it could it can involve although it's not so simplistic but it can involve you know taking a warm bath and having a hot cup of tea and giving yourself a moment to rest uh and not always be running around trying to please your partner um mm-hmm. it can involve asking yourself what are my needs what do i need and you can get as basic as i need exercise i need rest i need you know intellectual stimulation i need emotional support from friends and family maybe i need to make a stronger spiritual connection maybe i need to go back to church it's really asking yourself honestly what is it in my life that i need again to counter the fact that you probably have been focused on your partner's needs all the time mm-hmm. so self kindness is it's a process it involves many many things but it's basically turning your attention toward yourself.
0: One aspect of emotional abuse that I experienced and not many other exper- many others experience is that your abuser really isolates you. Yes. So you're already sort of disconnected from the people you are close to. You're probably keeping secrets that you can't even believe you have to hold in your body yes how does how does that make it harder for survivors to speak to their friends and family about what they've experienced
1: right like it, it, there's several things you said that that there that were important one is that yeah you've been isolated and um you've been afraid to tell your family and friends, you're afraid they're going to shame you further, Mm -hmm. or you're afraid they're going to try to talk you into leaving him when you're not quite ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you're afraid they're going to blame you. You know, I told you this guy was bad news. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And you're ashamed because maybe of some things that you've done in this relationship. Um, maybe you got into alcohol and drugs, you know, um, Maybe, you know, I had one client who got picked up for drunk driving because she was using alcohol for, you know, as a way of coping. Mm -hmm. So she got picked up for drunk driving and she was too ashamed to tell her parents about it and family. Um, So this isolation has really been deadly. Um, So reaching out to finding a, a support group of other people who've been emotionally or physically abused. You can find them on the internet nowadays. There's Zoom meetings all, all over the place. Um, finding a way to create a separate life from him. Let's say you're not ready to leave yet, but you can start creating a separate life. Maybe you can go back to school. Maybe you can uh, try to get a part-time job. You can Maybe you can start exercising. Maybe you can start painting or doing something creative. So that you're creating a separate life to, to begin to build to kind of counteract that isolation and create a separate life for yourself.
0: Mm, that's, that's great advice. That's really, really good advice. So if you could just give us, if there's one thing that you would want us to remember from this podcast in those of us who are survivors and how, how we should be handling our shame, what would you tell us?
1: Well, please don't shame yourself if you're not ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, It's understandable that you might not be ready to leave. Don't be critical of yourself because you can't. Okay, that's not gonna. That's not gonna help you. It's not gonna help you get stronger to keep shaming yourself because you're not ready. If you're not ready, believe me, there's good reason. Okay, maybe the reason is because you were abandoned as a child, uh, and you you know you have abandonment issues. Maybe the issue is, you know what he's gonna do. You know he's gonna make your life miserable. That he's gonna take you to court and try to take your kids or you know he's never gonna give you a penny of alimony, or you know he's never gonna leave you alone, he's gonna stalk you and haunt you. Um, Maybe it's because you're afraid no one's ever gonna love you again. You do believe he loves you, he is a good father. You're afraid that no one's ever gonna love you again and that no one's gonna be a good father to your children. You're afraid maybe you're gonna make another mistake and it's gonna be a worse mistake. You've got probably dozens of reasons why you're not ready. So it's not going to help you to to shame yourself and it is going to help you to keep telling yourself it's understandable that that I'm afraid to leave or it's understandable that I'm not ready to leave.
0: Well, that is great advice. Thank you so much, Beverly. And I'm just right now, I'm taking a look at your Amazon page and you have a book for... For every part of the leaving process and the healing process. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm There's one on here called the nice girl syndrome that I'm like, oh, I got to check that one out. That looks pretty uh-huh. good. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, thank you. Yes, I've been doing this a long time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I will be sure to include um, links to both of the articles we discussed and all of your fabulous books on Amazon. Okay, well,
1: thank you so much.
0: That was Have a great a, interview. Oh, thank you. Have a good night. Okay. okay. Thanks again to Beverly Angle for being on the show. If you'd like to check out any of Beverly's 21 books, including the four bestsellers about emotional abuse, Please check this, the show notes for a link to her Amazon page. If you are in an unsafe or unhealthy relationship, there is help available. Please dial the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is one 1- 800